taking our inheritance, taking our inheritance. Last week, I, I talked about um, being fruitful and that God was going to prune us, sometimes take away the, <laughs> the dead branches. I, I know some of you have been thinking about that this week. I, I've talked to a couple of people, actually, that said, I've been really working on look, analyzing my life and examining my heart and, and looking at the branches that may be dead and, and non-productive. And God's doing that. Being fruitful is, is our call. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And I look at my own assignment in life, and, and I think of my assignment. I think my primary assignment is to teach the church. And uh, I've, got a, I've got some books here that I've written in this last uh, few months. And this is a trilogy. When I, when I write a book, I, I try to write about the things that pastors talk about. We have several pastors in the church. And we talk to people day to day and the issues that people face. And so all the books that I've written kind of apply to the, the lessons of life. And somebody asked me, well, why do I write so many books? And the, the reason I write books, number one, is my, I believe it's my assignment. I was thinking about um, the number of hours that we actually have in church, that Pastor Joel and I basically are the teachers. And we, we teach, what is it, 52 weeks. That's about 26 hours in one year. And not everybody listens every week. So say 20 hours in one year, that's about five days of four-hour sessions. That's all we have to teach. And so the, the books and the Bible studies, the devotions, the different things that we do and the small groups that we do add to that so we're getting that input of the bread of life on a regular basis. And so that's why I do it. And I also do it for, we've now extended our ministry around the world. And many of the books that I've written are being translated into other languages. And they're being used. Rather than me going personally, uh, the books are being used. Sometimes it's the only books that pastors have in their office. I've seen so many where they have a Bible and they have one or two or three of my books in their language. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, so the, the latest book that I wrote, it just came out this week, is called The Balance, the Balance Life. Uh, this trilogy is, probably affects all of us in some way. The first one I wrote was called Goodness Follows, and that's about marriage, having a healthy marriage. Our, our first ministry, my first ministry, is my, my wife and our family. So the second book that I wrote is called um, How Does Your Garden Grow? And it talks about the family. How, how do you raise a healthy family? And these are good books to give away to somebody too as, as gifts. And so the third one, uh, first one is about a couple, second one's about the group, the family, that's our ministry. And the third one is this called The Balanced Life. And this is about my life personally. We, we have the balance of nature. Uh, we have a a balanced budget, hopefully in our homes. <laughs> we wish we did in our country, a balanced budget. We have balanced diet that we eat, hopefully. And we need to have a balanced life. How do I balance it between my inside world and my outside world that I project to the outside and my social world, my friendships and my family and my work world where I relate to people on a regular basis. How do I balance all that? How much time and how much attention? Where do I need more, more work? And so that's the, the balanced life. So those are books available. Any books that you do buy from the church, all that money goes to support missions. And then we can take these books and publish literally thousands of them 
around the world. That's very, very helpful. Well, assignment. What's our assignment? Come to the, the big idea that's on your, your notes. Hopefully you have the notes available to you. And um, the big idea is that God has given to each of us an inheritance, a territory, I'm going to be talking about that, territory, an assignment, and then as we sang earlier, we have the divine weapons to fulfill that assignment. We have all that's necessary to do what God's called us to do. So God has given us all uh, a very particular assignment. The assignment starts with Adam and, and Eve, our, our parents. Uh, Megan talked about that. If you listen to her lesson, she talked about our, our roots, all of us. Every one of us go back to the roots of Adam and Eve. And God gave them a very particular assignment which extends to all of us. Be fruitful, and that's to produce whatever fruit that God has gifted you to produce. And multiply, continue to extend that as we go out through our, our lives. And then subdue, bring peace and harmony and order to our circle of influence. <laughs> I was talking to Megan earlier. She puts the, the graphic on, on the back here that you have. And, and uh, she said, I want to explain to you the graphic that's on the back here. It's very artistic. And uh, she's talking about the circle of influence. We have all those circles in the back. And if you could see it, the bottom half is reflected. It's water. It's reflected. So the top half is reflected in the bottom. So I love that idea. It's our circle of influence and we're a reflection uh, to our, our world around us. So subdue, subdue. And then the last one really is what we're talking about today, take dominion. And the songs that Keaton chose for worship this morning are about that battle that we have and taking dominion in our circle of influence. So that's what we're going to address today. And I'd like us to turn to Mark chapter 7. This is our text Jesus has been in Capernaum, it's his, kind of his hometown, where he makes his, his center, and um, he's been teaching, and the scribes, the Pharisees have been harassing him, and he's been talking to them about, he really cares more about their hearts than their outside, what's going on, on the outside. And now he, um, he takes his 12, he's had the 12 for about a year now. We're now into the summer of 29 AD. He appointed them in the summer of 28 AD. So they've become close, this group of 12, 13 with Jesus, become very close. And he takes them up to the north. There's too many people. People everywhere he goes now, he's very famous, and there's people following him. So he takes them up north to a place called Tyre and Sidon. And if you looked at that little map that Megan had on when she was talking to the kids, it's up about 40 miles. On the, on the coast, the Mediterranean coast, above Capernaum is Tyre, and then about 20 miles above that is Sidon. That would be Lebanon and Syria today. So he's out of his territory. And we have to ask, why is he up there? So let's read the, read the passage. It's in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house. Uh, maybe he, he met somebody and they invited him. The Middle Easterners are very gracious and hospitable. So somebody invited him to stay there and the 12 are with him. He didn't want anybody to know. <laughs> He's trying to get away from people. And I, I can relate to Jesus. Sometimes I, I, I go overseas and I teach 
uh, all day, and I'm very tired. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want, I want to go to my hotel room, and I want to sit there. I want to be alone. I, I understand Jesus. Uh, you've given away, given away, given away. It just needs that time to, to get back life again. So he, he didn't want anybody to know, but he, he couldn't be hidden. They, they just knew him wherever he was. He's now very famous, even up there in the north, out of Israel. He's, he's very famous, and people are around him. And then there's this lady. Now, every story in the Bible, there, there could have been thousands of stories that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but every story was recorded for a particular reason. So why is this story here is the question we're going to ask. So immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. So here's a mom. We don't know if she's married or not, if she has other kids or not, but she knows that she has one little girl that she's, this girl is out of control and we have kids like this in our world today that are just out of control. Something has possessed them. And in this case, she identified this. They're very aware of spirits. She identified this as a demon inside this little girl that's just making her behave miserably and she's desperately concerned. She loves her daughter. And she, she has hope and belief that Jesus is the one that can deliver her daughter. So she, she bows down at his feet. She's crying. She's begging him. Verse 26, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician. Now Mark mentions that. The Holy Spirit mentions that. She's not, a, she's not a Jew. She's not one of the, the children. She's a Syrophoenician from that area of Syria, Phoenicia. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now, this is probably one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. Because we know that Jesus is a God of love. We, we know that he is a loving, merciful, kind, generous, thoughtful, gentle man. And what he says to her doesn't sound very nice, and we need to look at it more closely. And so she's begging him, desperate to get her daughter delivered. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. <laughs> throw it to the dogs. My goodness, Jesus. Couldn't you be a little bit nicer to her? But she answered, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What in the world is happening here? We have to understand that <laughs> there's a couple of things happening. One is Jesus is looking at her heart, not, not the exterior, but he's looking at her heart. The other is that communication is mostly, mostly nonverbal. So sociologists will tell us that communication is about 7% what we actually say. So I'm communicating to you with my words. So, so 7% is the words that I'm saying. 38% is the tone of my voice. A a am I sincere? And what, what's happening? How, what, what's the intonation? Am I angry? Am I sad? What's, what's the tone of my voice? But 55% of communication for us that are speaking to you up front or you're speaking to your husband or wife or children, 55% of communication is expressed in the body language. But we only have words. We only have the 7% that is here. We don't know the tone of Jesus' voice. We don't know if he's smiling, winking at her. We do know that when he says the word dog, there's two words for dog in Greek. 
most of the dogs are like in Africa. When I go to Africa, dogs are just kind of scavengers. They live outside. There's no uh, walking them with a leash. No picking up their poop on the ground. They're just walking around as scavengers all over the place. And their dogs, in some, some countries, like Indonesia, they eat the dogs. And you have to keep your guard uh, penned up if you don't want them to be eaten. So dogs are just kind of wild. But the other word for dog, there were some people that actually had dogs as pets, like a puppy dog, a cute little lap dog. And that's the word that Jesus uses. It's important. We don't even see that in English. It sounds like Jesus talking to this lady as a, a dog, Gentile dog. But he's talking about a puppy dog. So we know that there's a softness in his voice. And I don't doubt that he's smiling. I don't know. I don't doubt that he's bending down, talking to this woman who's now on the ground here uh, with a gentle and kind voice. He's playing with her. And she catches it. We don't all catch it, but she catches it. And she knows that he's loving when he says this to her. And so she says a very sharp answer, very quick. She says, yes, but even the puppy dogs under the table get to eat the crumbs of the children. And Jesus, I could just see a broad smile on his face. It's good for you. You understand. <laughs> you understand. And uh, because of what she, how she responded to him, and I could just see this connection between Jesus and this Gentile lady because of the way she responded. He said to her, the statement you made may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. You're healed. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon was gone. She was completely healed. And so we know that um, it was a really positive exchange between Jesus and the lady. As I look at this, I see, three, I see three things. I see three things. I see three responses to her. One is this lady is, is, is desperate. And she needs healing for her daughter. She needs mercy. She needs love. And Jesus gives her that. That's what he always does. He shows his mercy and love in healing the child. The second is... God had just been talking through Mark in this passage down in Capernaum some maybe a few weeks before. He had been talking about God looks at their heart. So he's teaching the disciples, we're not looking at this lady as a Gentile, as a Syrophoenician. It doesn't matter what color her skin is. It doesn't matter that she's a woman and not a man. It doesn't matter if she's old or young. It doesn't matter anything about her personality or her person. What matters is her heart, and I see that she has a soft heart, a heart after God. That's what God's looking at. So those couple of things. One is about Jesus, his mercy and his love, and the other is about the woman, that she has a soft heart. But there's a third thing. And the third thing is about the territory that he happens to be. It's not incidental that he's in Tyre or the region of Tyre and Sidon. It's not a, just a coincidence. There's a reason for him being in that area outside of Israel. More than just getting away, more than having time with his disciples, there's a reason that he's there, and that's what we need to look at. So let's, if we can show that map, John, on the screen for a second here. Similar map to the way that Megan showed it earlier. Um, again, after uh, Moses brought the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt, it's a picture of our salvation. Then he led them into the wilderness for 40 years where they were being trained and taught. 
And then Moses died, passed the baton to Joshua, and said, Joshua, it's time for you to go in. And then he divided after Joshua became older. We'll see that in a minute. After he became older, he divided the land up into these 12 regions. Some are bigger than others because some are more fertile than others. So the smaller ones are more fertile and more useful. The other ones have more desert to them. And so we look up in the, the top left-hand corner, you see Asher. Asher was one of the sons of Jacob of Israel. And that's where Tyre is. If you look at the Sea of Galilee there, up in, in the middle, uh, that's where Capernaum is. So he's walked all the way up to Tyre. And then Sidon's at the very top of the map. That's where Jesus is. He's outside the territory that has been claimed by Israel, but within the territory that was given to Israel originally. And I want to take you back a bit. Let's come back to our scriptures. And I, I want to show you a couple of verses here. Now, let's start with Joshua chapter 1. Now, this is going back to the story 1,400 years before. So Abraham was 2,000 years before Jesus. And, and God said that I'm going to give you this land. But he hadn't really identified the boundaries of the land. Then Moses came along around 1450, led the children out of Israel, out of Egypt, into the promised land. Joshua led them. And now it's about 1400 B.C., and we have this land before them. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, tells us the boundaries of the land. So we're talking about taking our territory. We're talking about taking our inheritance. I was reading a, an article uh, from the Chicago Tribune. It was a clip from there. And they were talking about this, taking territory, taking your inheritance, taking what belongs to you. And they discovered that there is over a billion dollars in Illinois where Chicago is, a billion dollars that had been unclaimed. It belonged to the people, either property or an inheritance or something. A billion dollars that people had not claimed. So they developed a program where people could find their lost inheritance and take it back again. And they also, they also mentioned in the same article that there was a, a lottery ticket that was sold in a gas station at a mini-mart in Frankfurt, uh, Illinois. And somebody had bought it. It's worth $14 million. And they had won, but they hadn't claimed it. Can you imagine winning $14 million and not claiming your inheritance? So that's what we're talking about here. What's the, what's the inheritance that we need to claim? So here's, this, here's the, the verse, Joshua chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. He identifies the inheritance that belonged to Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, that's Euphrates up north, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, that would be the Mediterranean on the west, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. By the way, this is why we have the, the conflict between Israel and the Hamas and, and the news these days. Because Israel, and, and, and nobody can come in and talk them out of this. It's kind of funny when you try to get people to talk them out of it. This is what God promised them. God promised them the land. And so that's why they claim it based on the promise of God. 
So now we, we follow Joshua through. He took about uh, seven, eight, nine years to actually conquer the land. And, and Joshua went into the promised land at about 80 years old. So he's now 90. Uh, and then he takes time to divide up the land. That takes another 10 years. He's now over 100 years old. He dies at around 110. So he's now about 100 years old. And so Joshua chapter 13, we're moving along in the story. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you're old and you're advanced in years. So God says to me sometimes, you're old and you're advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. You haven't taken all your territory. You haven't taken all your inheritance. All that I've given to you, you've let it lie. Now, we all have an inheritance of God. I want to talk about that in just a minute. What's my inheritance? But Joshua had not taken his inheritance. And so he, he's now old. He's 100 and something years old, and it's too old. he's too old to continue on. So he passes the baton on to the next generation. And that's where he divides up the 12 tribes, and they get 12. Now you take your area, you take your area, you take your area. So we come down to Joshua chapter 19. And with just this particular one, the fifth lot came out of the tribe of the people of Asher, according to their clans. And then skip down a bit to verse 28. Ebron, Rehob, Hammon, Cana, as far as Sidon. There, oh, there's Sidon, the great. Then the boundary turns to Ramah, reaching to the fortified city of Tyre. So now we read, going back to Joshua, a little bit of the history that these Israelites knew, and of course Jesus knew it, that their territory, even though they hadn't claimed it, it extended up to Tyre and Sidon. So he's in the area that was given to them by God, but they hadn't taken it as their inheritance. So when I read that story, I read more than the story of the healing of the little girl, which is wonderful. I read more than the story of God looking at this woman's heart, which is wonderful. I read past that. I read more of the story than Jesus' mercy and love and healing power. I read about taking territory. What's the territory that God had given to Israel that they hadn't taken? And then I say, well, what about us? What's as Northside Church? What's our territory? As Barry Buzza, as Joel Conti, or... Jim Douglas, or whoever is here, what's the territory that God has given to us as individuals? When we began our church, and I want to continue on from where I was last week, when we began our church, I, I, I prayed about a name. I wanted a simple name that identified our purpose. And uh, because we were on the north side of Port Coquitlam, I, I chose the name Northside. Originally, it was called Northside Chapel changed it later to Northside Church. So the original land that God gave me, this is your assignment. There was about 11,000 homes at that time. I went down to the city and I mapped it all out, about 11,000 homes, but I couldn't reach 11,000 homes. So I marked out 100 homes initially. So territory increases as we get older. For example, you tell your children who are five, six years old, this is your bedroom this is your territory. You may not use those words, but this is your territory, and I expect you to keep your area clean. And so they're responsible to keep their bedroom, 10 by 10 or whatever it is, that area clean. 
That's their make your bed, put your toys away, put your clothes, hang them in the closet. You're expected to keep your territory clean. As they get older, you may give them other assignments. You say, okay, now your territory includes the kitchen, and after dinner, I want you to put the dishes away and clean them up and, and wipe the table down, and this is going to be an extension of your territory. You, you might say to them, okay, your territory is now going to include the front yard, and this 14-year-old boy or 12-year-old boy is responsible to mow the grass and to keep the weeds out of that front lawn. We don't want him to begin mowing the lawn and mow 10 feet and leave the last five feet and not mow it. You want him to mow all the territory that has been given to him, has been assigned to him. Clean all your room. You don't clean just part of it. You clean all your room that has been assigned to you. So as you grow older, your territory increases. And I felt the same thing as our territory, our church began to grow. And we were on the north side. Now, in 1992, we were given this building here from Coquitlam Church, and our territory included the north side of Coquitlam. And our territory expanded to the north side. We began to plant churches in Mission, Port Coquitlam, New Westminster, Coquitlam. Our territory took on the north side of the Fraser River. When they became president of Four Square, uh, our territory extended all the way across Canada. I was visiting Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Newfoundland and our territory extended to the north side of the border. And in the last 20 years or so, our territory has extended overseas. We have our Indonesian church, Life Center, with Pastor Grace, and our territory extends to Indonesia. Uh, we have our uh, Iranian church, and Pastor Hamid reaches into Iran and into Turkey, and our territory increases there. We have our Congolese church, Pastor Shadrach. And the Congolese church reaches into Congo, and there's tremendous fighting going on there right now. I was just visiting Pastor Shadrach and Miriam this week, and there's such great pain for them because even this week, tribal fighting, and they had 28 people in their, their city of family members that they know that have been kidnapped, and women are being raped, and they're interceding for that area because that's the territory. And we want to join with them in praying for Congo. We'll do that when we close here. And we pray for them because our territory continues to expand as we mature and grow as, as a church. So here's a couple of verses from the New Testament. It talks about territory. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 10, we will not boast beyond our limits but will boast only with regard to the area of influence that God has assigned to us to reach even to you. So now the area, as Jesus had said in Acts 1.8, we're going to reach Jerusalem, we're going to reach Judea, we're going to reach Samaria, we're going to reach the uttermost parts of the earth. So the territory was expanding now to Greece to include Corinth. And, and so that's the assignment, that's the area of influence that God had given to the church at that time. Come down later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, Therefore, if anybody, that's not just Paul and his team, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, all has become new. All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This goes back to what God told Adam, be fruitful, multiply, subdue, bring peace, bring order, and take dominion, take authority, bring people back into relationship with God and relationship with one another. That's our, our call, our ministry to all of us. Therefore, he gives a metaphor. We're ambassadors. An ambassador is a person that is sent from one nation, say I'm sent from Canada, to go to China or go to Congo, representing the nation of Canada in Congo, and to bring the peace of our nation. We have much to give. Now we're part of the kingdom of God. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God, and so are you ambassadors of the kingdom of God. So we go into the kingdom of darkness, which happens to be right outside our door, and we want to bring reconciliation. We're bringing peace and harmony to our world. That's our call to do that. So what I say to people, and I want to just bring this now to an application. What's your area of influence? And I would say to all of us that the first area of influence is our family. For me, it's Susan, and then that extended to Kelly and Christy, and then when Kelly and Christy got married, uh, Tom and Jeremy, and then when they had children, that includes our grandchildren. Now, as our grandchildren get married, uh, that, so Gabby's our first grandchild-in-law, so it extends to her family, so our, our influence is growing that's our primary influence. That, that's our first. So now we take the weapons of our warfare, and the weapons we talked about, that weapon of prayer. And the, the song says that we, we bow down before the Lord. And we're, we're battling the demonic powers that have held them captive. And we're saying, God, bless our family. Our influence now will include our church, not, not just me and Pastor Joel, but all of us. We, we have this influence of our church. We're praying for one another. We have people in our church that get sick or they're struggling with different things in their family or finances, and that's part of our circle of influence. Where, where do you live? I, I don't look at it as just a happen chance that I happen to live where I live. There are neighbors around me that I am the only, Susan and I are the only Christians in our cul-de-sac and neighborhood. And that's my area. And you have one too. That's your area of influence. Uh, your workplace, where you work, you may be the only believer that's there and you are the one that has been assigned the baton like <laughs> Moses passed to Joshua and Joshua passed to the leaders of the 12 tribes. This is now your assignment in that area. And you take that. So all of those, that's a very immediate areas of influence that we are responsible to pray for and to love. I, I've started doing this again. I, Susan and I have bought electric bicycles. I love electric bicycles. I love passing all those other bicycles, but my electric bicycle, so I, I, every day I, I pedal all up this hill here. And as, as I'm going, I'm praying a very simple prayer. Very simple prayer. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And I'm looking at the house, I'm looking at people, and I, I smile at people and wave to people as I, as I go by. And people are very friendly, actually. And, I, and, wave, and I'm praying, just quietly, not out loud, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth here in this neighborhood as it is in heaven. I'm taking the territory that God has given to me. And that's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian. I'm a new creation in Christ. So my recommendation to us, my, my hope and my prayer is that we could take on, say, could you name four people? Four people. They, they may be in my family. They may be in my neighborhood. They may be somewhere else. Four people that I'm going to name before God every day. And I'm going to pray for these four people. And I call this our potential church. Potential church. So our church may be around 1,000 people. Our potential church is 5,000 people. 5,000 plus 4,000 people. And we're praying for those. And so the weapons that we would use are obviously love. The love of God comes through us. And intercession. There's dozens of weapons that God has given to us. And, and then ultimately, when we get back together again, hopefully by September, to invite. After I've prayed for them, I'll invite them to church. And right now, it's actually very easy because you can invite them to listen online. So you invite people. You pray, love, invite. Let's end this one, one verse I want to give you. One day, each of us will stand before God. We know this because God tells us this. And we will give an accounting of what we did with our territory, as Joshua did. We will give an accounting of what did I do with the territory that God assigned me. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Amen? For why? Why? Because we all must appear before the judgment seat of God. Now this is not being judged for our sins. Our sins are forgiven. Thank God for Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. We're being judged by what we did and the motive with which we did it. Our, our works. We're not getting into heaven because of our works. We're getting into heaven because of the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. But now we're being judged with what we did with our territory that was assigned to us. It must all appear. That means to be, actually, it means to be naked, exposed, he rips open our out exterior, looks at our heart, our spiritual heart, before the judgment seat of God, so that each one may re receive what is due, a reward for what he has done, whether good or evil. Now, it, the word really evil isn't a good translation. A better translation is what's worthwhile or what's worthless. The worthless is the branches that are not bearing fruit. The parts of our life where we're spending our money, where we're spending our time that are not bearing fruit, that's what he's going to separate. The, the evil, the sins are taken care of again by the blood of Jesus. But the judgment is going to separate what I did with my assignment, with my territory, and what I didn't do with my money, with my time, with my energy, with my gifting, with my talents. That's what we're going to face. Okay, let's pray. I'm going to pray for us, so four people. Think of four people and maybe write them down. Father, as we've been talking about this territory, I've been, I've been really convicted about this over this past several months. What am I doing in my territory with what you've given to me, with, with the weapons that I have, with the tools that I have? What am I doing with that, Lord God? And I pray that that conviction of the Holy Spirit would rest upon each of us, whether we're here in the room right now or whether we're home or whether we're overseas listening. I pray that we'd be very aware of our responsibility and our privilege 
of being an influence, being salt and being light to our circle of influence. God help us. God help us. We want to stand before you with a clear conscience. I did what you told me to do. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.